The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We can flip to Psalm 96. Today we are in Psalm 96 talking about worship. title of today's sermon is Upward and Outward. I'm going to pray, then we're going to jam through this message. Man, the music went so fast today, I was still chugging my first cup of coffee before the songs ended. These Christmas carols, they book. And it's a good thing uh, they're Christmas carols because if the projector goes out during second service, as I'm sure it will, at least people know half of the songs or can mumble along and fake it. Um, So let's pray. We're going to jump into Psalm 96. Father, um, Lord, I am excited today to be able to talk about what worship is and who you are and how we are to live in light of what you have done for us. God, it is an amazing, amazing thing that you, where you stand in the heavens with the vast massiveness of your being, that you would care about us this morning, today. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your glory, to understand how important you are for daily life. Speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember my, the, the first time, if I look back at my life, the first time I clearly remember worshiping, it was an amazing experience. I was invited, as many of you were invited, to somewhere to worship, and, uh, and I didn't know what to do or what to wear, so I said, what do I wear? And they said, you wear this, and I said, okay. And then we went to the worship gathering, and it was an incredible experience because I was walking in with hundreds of people, and I was looking around. I was like, okay, are these people like me? Are these people different from me? I, I don't understand everything that's going on. And then we went in, and we got to, to where we were going to sit, and then I just watched as people were singing songs that I, I kind of had maybe heard, but not really. And then I, I watched as people, man, people were different. Some people, they were passionate worshipers. They were, they were on their feet. They were hands in the air. And then some other people, they were more subdued worshipers. They were just sitting and watching. And I will never forget the moment that I begin to worship in this venue. As all of this is going on around me, it's loud, people are, are singing, and there's all this stuff going on. And the first moment of worship occurred for me when Dr. Julius Irving jumped up from the side of the key with that signature dunk, and then he slammed it down. That was my first time that I remember worshiping. It was amazing. I was worshiping at the altar of basketball, in case you thought I was talking about Jesus. It wasn't. I remember getting a poster of Dr. J and putting it on my wall. Do you guys know who Dr. J is or am I too old? I can go newer, but I don't like Kobe Bryant. He's a fool. Um, Dr. J, he, I mean, if you don't know who he is, he is this guy. He had hands like Goliath, and he would hold the ball, not like normal people. So when I dunk a basketball, or dunked, I should say past tense, when I dunked a basketball, I grab a ball like this because I can't jump quite high enough, so i got to get all the way over. Dr. J would put the ball here like a child. And he would jump up in the air, just boom, and he would just keep walking up, and he would just hold it like this, and then, you, know, you could almost see him singing a song, it's like, you're going down, baby. <clears throat> and he would throw it down. And I would watch clip after clip, and this is before YouTube, so this isn't like double click to go back 10 seconds, this is me with a VHS, and rewind, oh, oh, over and over and over again. And then I, I got more posters of things that I worshipped, because that was when I was a young child. And then I can't tell you the posters I had from when I was 10 to 16, because my mom would disown me, but I had posters. 
And then Jesus snatched me up. And then I, I didn't know that whole time that I was worshiping things. I thought that what I was doing was adoring things, really, really liking things. I didn't realize that all my life I had been worshiping. I didn't realize until I became a follower of Jesus that all people do is worship. We all worship something, and what you worship dictates and directs the majority of everything going on around you. Some of us worship God on Sundays, and then we worship something else on Mondays. Some of us worship God on Sunday mornings, and those of you who are football fans, we go and we worship some other God Sunday afternoons. And some of you are more excited about worshiping your football team than your Savior. The reason I know this is because I'm still waiting for people to wear face paint to the chapel, okay? This is my goal in life. I want someone to come here with the chapel blue on one side of their face. I want them to get an all about Jesus eye black under their eye. I want them to come in wearing a shirt that says, love God, love others, or I'm a hot mess, follow me. Like, whatever you do, I've never seen this at a church. People come here looking nice and shiny, and then we go worship our real gods afterwards. Now, if you think I'm just talking about you, I'm talking about me. I'm nervous today. I'm nervous because my team, the blessed Pittsburgh Steelers, are playing the Prince of the Harpies Pit of Hell team, the New England Patriots. All right? If you have a good angel and a shoulder devil, the Steelers are the good angel. The Patriots, they're the shoulder devil. just trying to mess things up. And I'm, this is how bad I am as a human being. I'm trying to focus on Jesus, and I'm looking out at you thinking, man, I really hope Pittsburgh Steelers just run it down Tom Brady's throat gently. <laughs> because worship is on our mind. Worship is on our mind at Christmas time. Because we worship things around us, like family, which are good. My mother-in-law um, loves Facebook, and she posted this quote, says the best thing about Christmas is the, how the family wraps, wraps each other up in one another or something like that. It was a beautiful quote. I loved it so much I couldn't help but to post a video of someone wrapping their face with saran wrap. Because we all worship something. We worship family. And if you don't know if you worship family, you just ask yourself the question, you know, what is it that gives you meaning to go on? What is it if you lost it would, would rob you of the will to keep on moving? Today, in Psalm 96, we get a blueprint of what worship is and how to worship. We get a, a really a perspective shift on how we are to position our lives before God and others so that our lives become one of worship in totality. Not just Sunday morning, but the other 95% of your week. Not just for this hour, the other 167 hours in the week. So here's what the psalm starts out with. Psalm 96, you could follow along if the projector wants to work or not. If it doesn't work, God be with us. Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Let's stop right there. The first thing that we need to understand about worship and what it is is whatever we lift our voices to, that is generally a sign of what we are worshiping. And this psalm starts out by saying, sing to the Lord a new song. Now this doesn't mean that to worship God you have to sing. I've had this conversation with many of you because I make fun of it often. I understand that not everyone's a singer. But one of the aspects of worship is the thing that gets your heart fluttering. 
one of the things that tells us we are worshiping is when we get that initial excitement, that first date excitement, or that wedding day excitement, but it's not always that way, right? Just like in a relationship, if you're with your spouse, the first date is amazing, like when you hold hands, and it's like the electricity goes through there, and then you do the first hug, and you just, I can't let go of this person, and then the wedding kiss, the wedding day, whatever all that is, it's like magic, and then like the first year after, you're just like looking back at pictures of magic. This is what it used to be like. What happened? But then you have these other moments like where you have a child that is born. It's like another magical thing. And, and for me, I don't know if you're the same uh, guys in the room. Like when, you're, when your wife, if you're, if you're married and she gives birth to a child, I loved my wife more knowing that she suffered for nine months to produce a human being. And every time she's popped one out, I think, man, she's a special woman which is why I just want to keep having children as long as I possibly can, because I only want my love for her to grow. There's something about newness that makes us, I'm only saying that in this service. She's at the next service. I'm not talking that, I'm not talking that nonsense. I won't have to go see a doctor to, to be, never mind. Okay. Um, there's something about newness that leads us to loving and passion and worship. And, and it's super common. We all know this. We know that new things give us the feels. That's why we go see the new movie. This weekend, people are going to see Star Wars. Not the original Star Wars, the good Star Wars. The, not the best Star Wars, the one with Jar Jar Binks. Not that one. There's this new one. Because new is better for us. We, we intuitively know that we want something new. So that's why... This psalm, I love it, starts out, sing to the Lord a new song. Stir up your creativity to love God. I, I love this psalm because there are a lot of camps with, in Christianity. The, the, remember the worship wars, which I'm glad the worship wars are like over. I mean, they still exist somewhere, but just not here. There's no worship wars um, as far as like traditional versus contemporary. Because there's a whole group of people who said, the only songs that God listens to are like, God, we should sing him to hymns. That's it. The hymns are these songs. Now, I love hymns. I, I adore the hymns. I embrace the hymns. I sing the hymns to myself. I'm a hymn singer in the shower. But I don't think that the hymns are the only songs that God listens to and loves and honors. As a matter of fact, I think we are called to bring new things to God to stir up our affections in worship. I think that it's weird that at one point, Amazing Grace was con- considered a contemporary song. Did you guys ever think about this? Like, at one point, there was probably some angry old churchgoer who was like, who is this guy, Isaac, writing songs about amazing grace? Why can't we just sing the songs that we've always sung? What is all this new contemporary music? Imagine when they came out with the, when they brought the piano into worship. Like it was all a cappella for a long time. And then they're like, we're going to bring in a piano. I'm sure there were people writing letters to their pastor. The piano is clearly of the devil. How do I know that? Because keys, I don't know keys to the gates of hell. And then we did it with drums. I was like in the 70s when all of a sudden like people with long hair and beards started worshiping Jesus. The Jesus people, the movement. And all of a sudden they, they, they basically just said, we're going to take the, the best of the Beatles, which is a small sampling, and we're going to merge it into Jesus. We're going to sing songs and drums. And that went on forever. I mean, in this room right now, there are at least like two or three drummers that if you went to another church, you are the spawn of Satan. Like you bring rhythm 
into church. How dare you? Our church values clapping offbeat only. But why did we do that? It was, it was loud. And you know what's happening to me now? Now, I'm the middle-aged guy, and, and I read things like, sing a new song to the Lord. Well, I've been to some churches where it's like a, a One Republic concert. It's like Ed Sheeran up on stage. I watched some videos of like, oh, this church has posted up a live video. Let me see what their worship guy looks like. Man, they've got hair cooler than me, jeans tighter than mine. I don't even know how their blood pressure is staying stable with everything going on in their outfit. And man, they have electric things that aren't like keyboards. It's like, and there's light just like, and I'm over here like, man, you've got to sing an old song to the Lord, you guys. Because this stuff that you're doing is not acceptable. I don't like these big drums. I don't like the synthesizer. I don't want pads. Worship should be just strictly songs from 1998 to 2010. I want to sing How Great Is Our God. And every once in a while, you could even sneak in a 1970s Shine, Jesus, Shine, and I'll be good to go. But no, people create new songs. And I'm becoming the fuddy-duddy old man. And I've got to pull back and say, wait, there's a new generation coming up. There's a new generation that needs to rise up and see God as amazing and valuable and beautiful and majestic. I saw that with God of Wonders and In the Secret, In the Quiet Place. If you know these songs, you were like, in my camp. Sonic Flood was deity. It was like God, Father, Son, Spirit, Sonic Flood. And we just in, in that to win it. And now, all of a sudden, and if you, if you don't get that, I can go back. Michael W. Smith could be you. Maybe, as, yeah. Like, like a rose. Yeah, Edwin's worshiping finally today. Okay. It's a new song. It's a new day. We have to be creative. I don't like how, as Christians, sometimes we are always behind the curve. The psalmist wants to press us into something new. Be new for God. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So, A, I want us to be creative people. And B, we need to notice the posture the psalmist is setting up. The, post, the, the posture is this. The psalmist says, you look upward and you worship God, and then you proclaim outward. And the psalmist is going to do this over and over again. It says, sing to the Lord, and then declare his glory among who? The nations. Declare among the nations, and tell of his salvation from day to day. This is one of my favorite little ditties for my kids uh, as a dad and as just a human being. I like to tell of God's salvation day to day, not just on Sundays. If you hang out with me only on Sundays, you might think, man, this guy just talks about salvation. It's true, but not just on Sundays, day to day. And it's not just the big salvation. I want to talk about all the many salvations that God has rescued me from that lead me and led me to the big salvation. Let me give you an example. Greg Hart and Donna said yes. I can remember clear as crystal the day that, that Donna said, I'm, we're thinking about uh, adoption. And Greg in the hallway back there said, no. And I said, Greg, you should just pray about it because that's a pastor's way of manipulating you. <laughs> and he said, I'm not going to pray about it. And he told his kid, and his kid's like, I'm not going to pray about it. And his kid's smart, that little heart kid. It's Hart's their last name. Uh, said, I'm not going to pray about it because God will say yes. And, and then I just watched this thread pull. Now, this was a moment you would say, how is that telling of God's salvation from day to day? Well, all of us are wired to look inward and be focused on ourselves, be focused on what's old and comfortable in here. And that little thread is God saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you from yourself in this area. Because now they could never imagine going back to not having their third child. Now, to them, it would be incomplete. But they had to be saved from themselves in order for God to get them to where he wanted them to go. 
Now, this is a, a mirror, and it happens in all of our lives every single day. We have an opportunity to say yes to God. We have an opportunity to worship God. We look upward, and then we look outward. But the good thing about Christianity is that it's not just this religion that gets like all God, all God, and I don't care what anyone around me is doing. The Bible is constantly saying, look to God, share with others. Look to God, share with others. Look to God, share with others. And this is what Christianity is about. And not only Christianity, this is what worship is about. If worship is to be complete, we, we would do what we do with everything else we worship. Right now, um, I'm avoiding the internet because I have not seen the new Star Wars movie. I, I have to stay away. I'm trying to stay away from social media. I'm just going on. And if I see Star Wars, I close my eyes. If you get a post that I liked on Facebook or if I liked your post on Instagram and you thought it was a post that I shouldn't have liked, it's because I really want to engage with people, but I'm just blind clicking. I'm like, I just want to tell people I'm here, but I don't want to see any Star Wars spoilers, okay? Um, it, because when we worship something truly, we always share it with others. People that love Star Wars, they're sharing it because they love it. Sharing something, C.S. Lewis says, is the culmination of worship. It's when we are totally enraptured in something to the point where we have to share it with others. Now, this is where I could go one of two routes. I could go Christian guilt route, which I, I love because they taught me how to guilt people in seminary and I'm really good at it, I just don't do it enough. So I could say, if you really love God, you will share the love of God with others. And if you're not sharing, you probably don't love God which means you're probably not even a Christian for reallys. That's the Christian guilt route, okay? Or I can, I can bring you this route. Now, there may be a place for that for some of you. Some of you guys have, have heads that are as hard as bricks, okay? But the other side is this. If you are not sharing God, I just want you to ask the question, what is it that I'm not getting about God that's not stirring up my heart for him? I don't want you to beat yourself up because Jesus was beat up. I want you to say, why don't I want to share? And then, Find out the answers to those questions. Some of them may be answers like, well, I don't think I know enough. And I, that's one that I hear a lot. I would talk to people about God, but what if they ask me a question? Well, I can promise you this. If you never talk to them about God, they'll never ask you a question. So at least you'll be safe. But there won't be a new relationship. There won't be a new opportunity. There won't be a time for you to tell of his salvation from day to day. And, and telling the story about God, telling God's salvation from day to day, it's actually a lot easier than you think. I used to think that I had to have all the right answers. I would try to compile in my head all of the information that I could. I would read books. I would stuff my brain with what we call apologetics and theology, defend the faith. I was eager and I was waiting for some cult leader to come to my door. And when they didn't, I would go out and bring my tenacity to the world. And the questions people asked were nothing that I prepared for. I wanted to tell people the five arguments for the existence to God. I wanted to bust out the Kalam cosmological argument because that makes me sound smarter. But nobody asked me about those things. Nobody asked me about those when I said, this is who God is. They weren't saying, well, can you break it down in a five-point presentation so that I can truly believe? They, they wanted to know, how has God changed my life? How has God made a difference for you? That was real, that's really easy to answer. Well, I used to be this. And now I'm this. You know what's hard for people to argue against? Your testimony of God's salvation in your life day to day. You can say, I used to be addicted, I used to be trapped, I used to be under, and then God saved me and I still am jacked up, but he's, he's rescued me from a lot of these things and he cares for me and loves me even though I still fail. He's here with me. And man, it is a peace that I just don't understand. 
You know what someone can't come back to with that? They can't be like, well, here's five reasons why you're wrong about yourself. They can't do that because it's you. We're not in the Truman Show. We're in real life, and God is with us. And he says, tell of the salvation that I've given you from day to day. This is what we are called to do. Now, here's, here's the why. Verse 4, the why. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared. He is to be reverenced. He is to be uh, adored. He is to be thought of as big and mighty. We are small above all gods. For all the gods of peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. I love that the Bible calls all the things we worship worthless idols. Uh, this was a, a terrifying moment for me this year. Let me just do a quick scan. Okay, maybe not. There's still some younger people in here. Okay, uh, let me change this illustration. <laughs> okay, uh, this week I was talking to my son about Christmas. And he said, Daddy, do you like Christmas? Because you seem grumpy around Christmas time. And I said, well, son, have you seen the movie The Grinch? He said, yeah. I said, that's about me. My heart was shrunken, and it's growing. God's trying to grow it. And he said, Daddy, why don't you like Christmas? And I'm not, don't be guilted by this here. This is just what I told him. I said, I just struggle spending all this money because as a pastor, I get emails and letters about all these needs in the world. So I think I'm spending this much money each year. And he asked me, he said, how much money do we spend on Christmas, Daddy? I said, how much do you think I love you? You know, I, I didn't tell him. And, uh, and I said, we could give all this money to other people. But we don't. And that's why it's hard for your dad. And he said, well, why don't we just skip Christmas one year? I said, how about this year? He said, no, not this year. <laughs> okay. Maybe not this year. But, but this is the, the reason. I, I look at how big God is. I look at how majestic God is. And this happens, this changes with all of life. Not just Christmas, but all of life. When I lose sight of the upward focus, if I stop looking at God and I just start looking at my problems, all of a sudden my problems grow bigger and bigger and bigger. But when I keep perspective on who God is, he is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all other gods because all other gods, lowercase g, all of these other things that I give my heart to, my soul to, my desires to, they're worthless compared to God. But if we take our eyes off of God, and it's easy to do in the Christmas season because there's so many other shiny things for us to put our eyes on. If we take our eyes off, then all of a sudden, these, these little things around us start creeping in and we forget. But when we look at God and understand, like when we understand that every tree that we just chopped down to put in our living room, that God like grew up all those trees from the ground. Like he created biology. He created the sun. He put the sun a certain distance from the earth. And then he made the atmosphere a certain density so that the sun wouldn't scorch us and that we wouldn't freeze. And then the earth is on this rotation and there's climates where only these pine trees can grow. And then if you're one of those people that got the weird trees, did any of you guys get the bug trees in Tampa? There's this whole epidemic of Christmas trees that had eggs that when you put them in air conditioning, flooded into your living room with creepy crawlies. Nobody got that tree because you would have worshipped God then real quick. Uh, it, we, we get all these trees in this life, and then we have this family. Like, we're going to sit around a tree in the middle of a house this next week, and we're going to eat uh, a turkey, unless you're a vegan, you're going to eat a, a furkey or whatever you call those vegan sad things. Um, and, and, then, and then you're going to look at your kids, and, and 90% of us are going to look at our kids 
and they're going to be smiling, and they're going to open up their Nintendo Switches or whatever. Sorry, spoiler alert, kids. And they're going to, and they're going to say, thank you, I'm so excited. And, and they're only going to say thank you if you raise them to be half-decent human beings, because half our kids don't even say thank you for the presents anymore. They'll just be like, it's mine, it's all mine. They just run out and leave you and abandon you. I'm having dad issues with myself right now, okay? And, uh, and they're just going to go play with their friends on Christmas. And then you're going to sit there on the porch and the scene's going to go to slow motion. You're going to be holding your wife, drinking your 13th cup of coffee. And the breeze is going to blow through your hair. And then all of a sudden, the day after Christmas comes. And you, a week later, some of you guys, your credit card statement comes in. And then the sweating bullet. Was it worth it? I don't know. Were we thinking about God? Was he our primary focus? Would Christmas look different if God was the biggest thing in our minds? Would the way that we react to people be different if when we looked out, it was always an upward look before an outward look? If we looked at God and then we looked at the person, would that change the way we react when we're pulling into the Brandon Mall and the parking spot's ours, our blinker is on, but this guy who's a jerk pulls out the wrong way so that someone sneaks in? If we saw God first, would that change the way that we reacted to them? This is why, by the way, I don't do bumper stickers for people. People have asked me, can we do bumper stickers for our church? Like, we love the chapel. I'm like, no, I don't want your public driving to be a record of my pastoring. I know you. I know you. Because I, I, I believe, for me too, we have a hard time putting this concept of God. He is great. He is to be feared above all gods. All the other gods are worthless. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. This is a big, beautiful view of God. And we just kind of bump it to a Sunday and maybe a, a Monday or Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever Bible study day you have. We should wake up every morning and just say, God, you're bigger than I could ever imagine. Today on, on the way in, there's a reason. I, I, don't, I, I live far from here. I, I, and I have to drive in. I can choose the commercial route on Boyette, or I can choose the back route uh, in the country. I call it the country. I know you guys who are from the country don't think it's country. Whenever I see piles of cow poop, it's country, okay? Um, so I drive that way every Sunday. It's my favorite drive. And then after I leave, I'll always drive back that way. And the sun is insane. It's bursting through. Today, I got out of my car. I got my camera out, and I was like, wah. Because it's just the sun. And this is just one orb of burning gas in space. That doesn't compare to God. When I, when I see the sunsets, I, I go down to Apollo Beach and I want to watch the sunset onto the water. I am using the term water because I've seen what they pump into the bay. And, um, but the, when the sun sets, I, I just start to go, this is insanely beautiful. That's a microcosm of God's beauty. That's a picture that points to God's beauty. That's like if you were going to Disneyland, in your Disney World, sorry, and you saw a sign that says Disney World this way, and you went, wow, that sign is so incredible, thinking that that was the destination. Nobody does that. At most, you pause when you see the first Mickey head that they wired into electric wires, right? You've seen like the Mickey head that's there for the power lines, which I think is weird because Disney World is like an electric chair. But anyway, you... But then you get into Disney, and I will admit, like every time I've seen my kids, we go on the ferry, and they see the castle. 
I mean, that, that for me is worth it. Like it's me, that for me, that makes it totally okay that that day I know I'm going to assault people, I'm going to get mad, but to see Savannah and Silas, they just go, ah, it's Disney World. I think, I love that. No, they're not doing that about the signs. We do it with the signs. Not just the signs like the sunsets. We do it with our, our toys. We do it with our houses. We do it with people's approval and acceptance of us. Oh, I love the way this looks. I love the way your lights look. And this, I'm trying to get all my jokes out for this service that my wife can't hear. Um, I haven't done my lights yet. I'm about to be killed at my house on my Christmas lights. I need to go do my Christmas lights. Because she says, are you going to do the Christmas lights? I'm like, nah, do we need to? I mean, it's Christmas. Can I just take my neighbor's lights, and they have a projector across the street, one of those things that projects lights everywhere. I'm like, I'm just going to turn theirs around after 9 p.m. when they're asleep. Done and done. And she won't let me do that. And Joe, uh, he probably owns firearms because he's from Florida. <laughs> so, so I don't want to do that. But, but, but I keep saying, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to go put up the lights because do I, do I love my wife? Do I look at her and say, man, I want you to have a, a better Christmas? Yes, I do. It's easy in human relationships. For some of us, it's so hard with the spiritual relationship with their father. For some of us, using the term relationship with God is difficult. Because some of us only see God as this great, faraway, terrifying God, ready to smite you at any given moment. Because it's right here. I mean, he is to be feared, and God is scary. Every time someone sees God in the Bible, they fall over like they're dead. They pass out. They get terrified. They think they're about to die because they understand they are sinful. God is good. So here's what we're to do. We, we look at God. We sing a new song. We look to others. Tell of his salvation. We look at God, see how great he is. And here's the next part. We look down. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe is an old word. It means like attribute to. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Glory is weightiness and strength. Verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. I love this in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He, God, will judge the peoples with equity, with fairness. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Let, uh, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his fairness. Man, I just love the Psalms so much. If you've never read the Psalms, it, just go read it and pretend like you're in a Shakespeare play on a stage. Because this is some big imagery. The psalmist says, look up at God and give him everything that's due him. And then go tell all the nations. Look up at God and, and see how amazing he is. And understand that he's going to judge the world. It says he will judge the peoples with equity. Now, unless you're a finance major, equity is not a term you use often, or a homeowner. He's going to judge us with fairness. He's going to judge us according to what we deserve. And that might scare some of you. That should scare some of you. If you don't know Jesus, this should scare some of you. But if you do know Jesus, it's, it's a very easy formula. Uh, this is a very famous verse. And this is what I just don't get about a lot of people, is we want to use God to leverage and use his power and terror to get people to conform. I'm the anti-conformer. 
Um, I, I had a meeting this week with somebody. I was picking their brain about branding. I mean, this person's a very successful business person. I said, I just want to, I want to ask you about branding. Tell me about the chapel. You know, why, first of all, why did you come to the chapel? And what, what, what's different about it for you? And he said, you know what I like about it is that it's different from anything I've experienced. And, and I, I love that. He said, but you just need a slogan that really captures that. So I've been thinking about slogans all week this week. And I, I really have no good ones for us. I, I thought we are the anti-church church. That's not a good branding slogan. That doesn't look good on like Instagram, the anti-church church. Because then people just think we're like a gross cult. And then I thought, no, we like, well, we like to bring your mess stuff. We're, the, you're, we're a church where you bring your mess. We're a church where you don't wear masks. And then I kept thinking and thinking. And, and really, I, I haven't got a slogan down yet. But it has something to do with like jacked up, all. Jesus good. Jesus loves all jacked up. Come to chapel. Like a very caveman. That's not it either. Clearly marketing is not my forte. But I want us to understand that when God's going to judge us with fairness, here's how he does it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. I'm just seeing how many of you Awana kids are out there. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess, he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now this is a very important phrase because when we read something like this, God is coming to judge the world in all equity, or if you look down in verse 13 of our psalm, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. We can maybe just put our lives up there and forget about the Jesus piece. Well, if God's going to judge me in fairness, I'm in trouble. But what if you confess your sins to God by faith? You say, God, I need you to forgive me. Please forgive me. I've done you wrong. It says he cleanses us from unrighteousness. And in the very next chapter of 1 John, it's in 1 John, end of chapter 1. In the very next chapter, 1 John 2, 1, it says, um, Brothers, I write this to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, there is an advocate who stands before you, who goes before you. So even after you confess, you blow it again, and you look up at God and his big majestic beauty. Jesus steps in between you and says, Hey, God, this one's mine. I got him. I cleaned him. He's good. And then Jesus steps aside and you walk in. God judging you in fairness, it's, it's not fair for us at all. It's, it's actually a radically unfair thing that we get the perfection of Jesus and all of our junk is left to the side. This Christmas, as we look up to God and then look out to others, we, we focus upward and then we focus outward. I would encourage you to remember that God is going to judge everyone with fairness. And the only way to stand before that judgment is if you're in Jesus. If we believe in the one whom he has sent. When Jesus was telling a story to one person, they asked him, what does it mean to do the work of God? And Jesus said this, this is the work of God, to believe in the one whom he has sent. He didn't say, this is the work of God, to give. This is the work of God, to serve, although those are good things. The work of God, when it comes to bearing fruit for God, is simply to believe. And you may think, that sounds too good to be true. It is. It's not, it's not too good to be true. It's, it's so good and it's so true. But it's also one of the hardest things to do is to just believe, to just receive from Jesus. The reason I know this is because we are an anti-receiving culture. The, we receive on days where it's appropriate or we'll receive gifts on Christmas. We will receive chocolates and flowers on Valentine's Day. We'll receive Easter baskets on Easter. But try to give someone a gift, an unreciprocated, an unreturned gift some random time of the year. Or better yet, 
throw a dinner party and tell people invited you can bring nothing. Everything's provided. See how many people actually come with nothing. They can't. We're allergic to it. We're allergic to receiving freely, unless we're kids. We'll receive freely from our parents. But you invite a bunch of friends over. Hey, I'm having a party. I'm providing everything. All of the non-alcoholic wine, turkeys, and all this stuff, come on over. They'll come over, and you say, bring nothing. They'll show up with a bottle of wine. I don't know why. They're allergic to it. Now, this is the equivalent of believing. We all want to earn God's love. Jesus says, this is the work of God. Believe. And when you believe in God, when you've confessed your sins, and that is it, when he comes to judge in righteousness, you are righteous because 1 John 1, 9 says he has cleansed you from unrighteousness. When he comes to judge the peoples in his faithfulness, he will judge you according to his faithfulness to you in Jesus. Have you believed? Have you received? Have you confessed? This is what it takes this Christmas to make it through with a dose of sanity. So let's pray, and then we'll invite the ushers forward. Father, I thank you for this gift of worship, that we could look upward and then share outward. Lord, I pray that this week we would be faithful people to love others well. I pray that this week our lives would change, that we would have an opportunity, that we would have an opportunity to share how you have saved us, to tell of your salvation day by day, and that we would not let Christmas crowd out the moments of real intimacy and relationship with you and others. Lord, bless us, be with us, in Jesus' name, amen.